Amen. Well, thank you, Jude. Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure how you describe me and how I'm feeling right now adds up. I'm like <laughs> flapping my way here. Um, everything's fine. My watch is telling me I'm stressed. I need to do some sort of breathing exercise, but never mind. So yeah, as you say, say what you, you see. What you see is what you get. Here it is. But anyway, I want to start off by talking about the weather. Let's go British. And I don't know what you thought about this week, but it was amazing. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday were just the most beautiful days. And uh, I was a bit annoyed about it, actually. I'm ready for autumn. How, how British <laughs> is that? That I could be possibly annoyed about good weather. But anyway, I took advantage of it and went down to the beach. And we didn't want to go to the beach which sounds odd, but the beach is on our doorstep. We stay in St. Cyrus, I don't know if you know it, and um, we go there all the time. And it is so familiar to us that we have really taken it for granted. And it's beautiful. In town, I showed a picture I was able to do that. You'll just have to imagine in your mind's eye the most beautiful, sandy, rocky, cavey, perfect beach ever. And that's what it's like. And that's what we were taking for granted. And my point is that today's Sam is quite possibly the most well-known psalm of all time, and it is so familiar to us. And so probably, or possibly, we've taken it for granted, but it's rich and it's full and it's wonderful. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we see it with fresh eyes and that we see it for all that it is this morning. And of course, of course, maybe you guessed which psalm it is already. Do you wanna shout at the screen uh, which number that is? We're getting a number. 23. Hey, there we go. Number 23. It is Psalm 23. And what I particularly love about this psalm is the tangibility of God. Sometimes we say God is love, God is mercy, God is grace, and God is. He is all of those things. But sometimes, I don't know about you, I find those things hard to, to grab onto, to hold onto. And so, Maybe if we think about God as God is my rock, God is my anchor, God is my tower, God is my shepherd, it's easier for us to, to hold on to today. He's not only all-knowing, all-seeing, all-everywhere, but right here with us. And so David, who wrote this psalm today, shows us who God is to him and who he can be to us. So we're coming, who are we becoming as we come up and out of this valley hopefully a people that trust the shepherd. So let me read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is a good psalm. And so trust the shepherd, your provider. By the way, I don't know if you've ever noticed, David, who wrote this, who was a shepherd in his younger days, has not written this from the shepherd's perspective. He's written it from the sheeps and, uh, plural of sheep, obviously, uh, and <laughs> he, the, I've learned this week that over 200 times God's people are referred to, that's us, by the way, referred to as sheep. 
I'm not sure how I'm feeling about that because they're really not the smartest animals <laughs> in the world, are they? But maybe that is God's point. So we <laughs> definitely have something to hear and learn today. So my daughter is fabulous. I'm not biased, of course. She's creative. She's funny. Funny's under us. She's hilarious. Um, she's a useful source of preaching stories, <laughs> with permission, of course. And she's pretty smart, but she's got a lot to learn. And her learning this week, or there's a few things, but the, she went to watch her brother playing football. And of course, as I said, it's supposed to be almost autumn. And she decided it'd be a great idea to go in Crocs with no socks, jeans and a T-shirt. And um, her other learning this year is her, her mum is usually pretty much always right. I think we're going to be going over that one again and again. But I suggested three times at least before she left that probably socks and Crocs, fashion disaster maybe, but really sensible. <laughs> grab a jumper, grab a jacket. Maybe you should do that. Did this make any difference? No, of course not. And did she come home freezing cold? Yes, of course she did. But she thought she knew best. She thought she knew what she needed. We think that we know best. We think that we know what we need. We think we know what we need from God, actually. We think we'll find our satisfaction and we'll stop lacking and wanting if God just provides us with the right job or with family or with friends or with a great church or with gifts or just answering our prayers, please. And the list goes on. And those things are significant and meaningful. But often we stop there. And in doing so, we stop short of what the reality of the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, truly means. He satisfies and provides all that we need so we lack nothing. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He said that in John. Jesus is God's perfect and complete provision. The answer to our deepest questions, our yearnings, our longings, fulfillment of our deepest needs. And let me ask you, what do you normally think about these green pastures normally? Normally, I think of British rolling hills, lush lands where sheep just chew grass all day long. I think of flat caps and wellies and crooks and I imagine one man and his dog. But what I discovered this week, I am now a Middle Eastern shepherding expert, of course, <laughs> not quite, but I did discover that um, the place where David would be shepherding was dry. It was desert-like. It would just have a tuft of grass here or there where the moisture in the air had allowed that to grow. And the shepherd in his wisdom would have to move his sheep on again and again to find a tuft here and the next tuft and the next tuft. And that doesn't strike me like rolling lush pastures with collies and combis, does it? It's more like daily bread. It's more like what they needed in a moment and, in a moment, and then having to move on to the next green pasture, the next tuft. It's more like daily bread. It's more like bread of life. And after Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, he tells them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Like these sheep traveling tuft to tuft, fully reliant on their shepherd to provide for them, that's the kind of simple faith we need to try and exercise, to trust in him, to provide just what we need when we need it. 
He always knows what's best for you. He's your awesome provider. Where do you need God's provision today? Where do you need reminded of all that he's provided you through Jesus already? He meets your deepest need. We lack nothing in him. So trust the shepherd, your provider, and trust the shepherd, your protector. Verse 4 says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. And David, he truly knew what it looked and felt like to shepherd a flock. And he's showing us that it's personal and intimate. We can see that from the language as well. It says, I and you and me and you and you and me, me and you, God, in the valley. And that is what you have to hear today. Whatever valley you're in, whatever you're facing, if you're facing a mental health challenge, a physical one, pain, family breakdown, heartbreak, grief, debt, God is with you. You are not alone. And um, I, I used to be scared of dying. Not the actual dying part, actually, but the heaven part of it all. And... Um, it's not something that I felt I should admit out loud as a Christian. We are supposed to be looking forward to the party in heaven with Jesus, aren't we? But a few years ago, I was really, really struggling with this. And basically, deep down, I'm a, a tiny bit of a control freak. And <laughs> my family will testify to this. If the, change, the plans change or there's something unknown, I slightly have a meltdown. Give me a wee while and I get used to the idea. But this great big unknown of heaven was just overwhelming to me. And I was gripped by fear. I was stuck in it. And let me tell you, you might know this yourself, fear is tangible. It's physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual. But so is our God. He's so kind. And uh, a couple of years ago at our leadership conference, um, I was pretty much every worship, Holy Spirit, amazing moment, I was an absolute wreck. I was a crying snotty mess and um, I, I was really frozen still I couldn't move forward in it I was trying to do it all by myself and one of the team from the guest prophetic guys came towards me and do you know he just knew God had shown him and that was enough God had seen me God was with me and now when I think of death or, or heaven. I have moments, but I cling on to Jesus and my images of him holding my hand and looking at me in the eyes throughout the whole thing. I'm never alone in it. And in fact, beyond that, I'm laughing my head off. I am laughing in the face of fear. I'm laughing in the face of death. Death, where is your sting? The devil was trying to steal and destroy my idea of heaven, and God wasn't having it. God doesn't want you to stay in that place. He wants to be with you, and he wants to help you. He wants you not to be gripped by fear, but to be gripped by his story, his love, his sacrifice. He wants to walk with you through it to the other side. It doesn't say... I will fear no evil because I decided so. It doesn't say I will fear no evil because monsters aren't real. It doesn't say I will fear no evil because I've reasoned it out. It doesn't say I will fear no evil because I'm a Christian. I'm not really supposed to fear. 
I will, doesn't say I will fear no evil as long as I fix this, just this little thing about me. It says, I will fear no evil because you are with me. It says, I will fear no evil for you are there to comfort me. You are there to protect me with your rod and staff. Verse four, your rod and staff, they comfort me. And the ancient shepherd apparently would have had both a rod and a staff. And the rod was a weapon like a club. It was for bashing lions and tigers and bears, oh my, over the head to protect <laughs> his flock. I prefer a little something a bit more substantial, but you work with what you've got. And the crook, well, the, the staff was like a crook and it would help the sheep stay on the path. It would lift out uh, maybe a lamb out of a swamp and it really gave them comfort because it was protecting them. Your good shepherd is here to protect, rescue and guide you. He wants to help you whatever you're facing. And I wanted to sort of speak this over you with, for whatever situation you might feel that you're under attack. And I've got this image literally of your great shepherd beating away whatever it is that's attacking you, just beating it off with a stick. It's easy for him and he wants to do it. Jesus teaches us to pray every day, deliver us from evil. And I wondered, maybe even where you are, you want to repeat the words, I will fear no evil because you are with me. I will fear no evil because you are with me. It's a good one to remember. <laughs> and the shepherd, he lived every moment with his flock. He slept with them and led them and ate with them. He watched over them day and night. And I was reading that during the day, actually, he would go ahead and the sheep would follow. But in the night, he would draw back and be in amongst the sheep. In the dark and in the valley, he draws nearer. You're never alone, especially in the dark. And I heard this great quote from Craig Rochelle. It says, we may enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we get to know him intimately in the valleys. I think it's true. But maybe, maybe you're sitting here thinking, yes, I know. Thank you very much for the reminder, Kirsty. that's excellent. Or maybe you're sitting thinking, well, where is he then? I don't feel him, I don't see him, I don't get it. I just wanted to talk for a moment about what knowing God is with you, feels and looks like a bit. What does his presence feel like? And it's different things to different people in different circumstances, and there is no way I'm going to be able to describe and define it, because it goes way beyond feelings. But I read this as well, I didn't get whose it was, but at its heart, it is a simple knowing that something greater than us is making his presence known. At its heart, it is a simple knowing that something greater than us is making his presence known. And that can be accompanied by something physical, a fluttering of eyes, a feeling of warmth, a shaking, a simple inner knowing, an affirmation from a few people sensing the same thing, a lightness of heart, sense of peace, a sense of trust, maybe even after the fact, something happening, or even just feeling different from when you first went into a room. It looks and feels different for everyone, and I definitely don't want to define it or give you sort of a burden of expectation of what it might look or feel like. But what I am encouraging you to do is if today you're saying, I don't know what that means or what it feels like to know God with me, 
is to start asking him to come and show you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to walk with you. You ask him, he'll reveal himself to you in the way that you need, especially through the valley. He wants to travel through it with you. And we are traveling through, by the way. He doesn't want you to stay in the valley forever. It's temporary because ultimately he wants you to be in his house forever. So we need to trust the shepherd, your provider, trust the shepherd, your protector, and trust the shepherd, your promise keeper. So verse five, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I'm not sure what you think. I don't think that we're very good at keeping promises these days. In fact, no, I am sure. We're rubbish. I don't think we're good at keeping promises at all. Um, Alistair, my husband, is very good at it. Um, he's a man of his word. This is potentially annoying sometimes, especially when he's um, throwing out consequences of behavior to children like no screens for a week and that phone's going in the bin. Um, I've definitely anti-backed a phone here or there um, because <laughs> once he says it, we know we have to stick to it. I'm like, oh no, Ali, we actually have to do that now. That's like a punishment for us. But <laughs> what we do know is that he'll stick to his word and we feel loved and honored by that actually. But I know in society in general, we're a bit rubbish, aren't we? Like, oh, I'll prom I promise I'll take the bins out after tea or um, I promise you'll get a promotion in six months. Or the one I think most common, and maybe we all do, is I'll be there, I promise. And if we relied on the promises of the wonderful human beings around us, we'd be let down time after time. In fact, maybe you have been. I mean, even Ali gets it wrong, we all do. But God says, I'll be there, I promise, and he means it. David knew more than most God's covenant promise to David was an everlasting kingdom. The promise was ultimately fulfilled in the most significant descendant that was Jesus. In Luke it says, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Through all that David faced, mountaintops and valleys, this promise stood and still stands. I've been, um, I've, yeah, I've had a proper wobble this week. I've been wobbling. And it's to do with church ramping up to being back. It's the weight of looking after the flock. It's juggling a family, including teenagers. It's all of that stuff and more. Um, I, I, I'd quite like to give, give up. I'd quite like to not bother. I've even said that to Ali. I just don't want to. I'm kind of done. It's too stressful. It's too much. Do I have to? And honestly, I've done this in my life. When things get tough, I've given up. I've given up. Sports and instruments and studying and friendships and relationships, jobs. However, this week when I wanted to give up, I've just chosen to trust the shepherd, the promise keeper. He's spoken promises over me. Indeed, one of his many words on repeat to me was shepherd. And I'm having to remind myself of what I'm doing and why. 
I'm doing it because Jesus loved me first and I'm desperate for other people to know that love. And I'm doing it because of the promises he's spoken over me. I'm doing it because, it sounds a bit fancy, but he's anointed me, he's chosen me. And that's why I keep going. And so, can you remember the promises that God has spoken over you? They still stand. Hold on to them. He never promised that we wouldn't go through the valley, but he's promised he'll go through it with you. God is with us. And so as we're coming out of this valley, the people and church that we, we have to become is one that is trusting the shepherd, accepting his provision, relying on his protection, and leaning in to his promises. We're not dragging ourselves out of the valley, holding on to our rope that when we just can't cope anymore, we let go of. We're clipping in on our belts, attached to the enormous rock that is our all-powerful God. And when we can't hold on any longer, he catches us, he carries us, he holds us. And in this psalm alone, look at all these promises. Look at what he does for us. He provides for you, he leads you, he refreshes you, he guides you, he's with you, he comforts you, he hosts you, he anoints you, he follows you with goodness and love all your days. He grants you a place in his house forever, the ultimate promise. Our times of passing through, of being transient, slightly stupid sheep that keep facing valleys will stop and we'll be on a mountaintop with Jesus in our permanent and unchangeable destination. Trust the shepherd. And maybe you haven't accepted Jesus's promise at all yet, the first promise. And I'd love to invite you to do that now. And maybe wherever you are at home, just open up your hands. Show him your position of receiving. And for those of us already Christians, maybe just ask God to remind you of the promises he's made to you. Come Holy Spirit. They still stand and you need to hold on to them. Maybe you haven't got a promise yet. Ask him for a, a promise. Just speak promises over us today, please, God. And those that want to follow Jesus, the great shepherd, for the first time today, I'm just going to say a prayer and just repeat in your heart or out loud if you want. After me. Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry for the things I've done wrong. Let me just take a minute to think, think of those things, bring them, to, bring them to him. Forgive me. I turn from all of those things now and I face you, Lord. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your Holy Spirit. 
I receive that gift now. Please come into my life to be with me forever. Trust you, my provider, my protector, my promise keeper. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs>